I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians tonight, chapter 4. And I'd like to speak a message to you tonight that I've entitled, The Faith Battle. Really where we're learning to lean in the struggle, the challenge that goes along with that. And uh, the reality is, that is a continual process, is it not? That there are times when things just don't go as we had planned. The old Murphy's Law, that if things can go wrong, they probably will, um, applies to us sometimes because we are in a fallen world. And so in that reality, there is times when things just don't go right. How many of you have had that? We had great plans, everything was organized, and then something happened and disrupted it. Everybody else, everything works perfectly every time you plan it. So... Um, Several years ago, about, well, about seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, um, I had taken a, a church in, in Pennsylvania the year prior, and uh, it had been a, a, a long, you know, first year just, you know, running hard at things, and we were finally going to take a vacation as a family, get away, and we had everything all planned out, uh, the, the vehicle was packed, everybody was ready to go, we were going to go meet up with family a day or two later, we were going to stop on the way down. And I was going to preach at a church and um, and then we were going to travel on down to the beach area and meet up with the rest of family and spend a week together. And this was about September time. Everything was ready to go. We got the kids together, got them breakfast and we sat down in the living room and said, OK, everybody's packed. You have everything you need. We want you to head upstairs, change out of your pajamas and get into your clothes to go. Then we're come down and get in the vehicle and we're going to head on this trip and we prayed together and um, so the kids went upstairs and my wife and I were downstairs just kind of finishing up some, you know, odds and ends. And um, all of a sudden we heard this boom, 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 boom. And then a scream, ah, like it's one of my children screaming out in pain. And our, our stairwell to the upstairs went up about four steps to the landing and then went up about 13 more steps to the upper, uh, upper, uh, floor. And our youngest daughter at the time, Lakin, had just started to be able to do the stairs walking, but we would always hold her hand. And so, you know, we'd walk her up, holding her hand up the steps and walk her back down. And what we suspect is that she was at the top of the stairs and thought, oh, I can do stairs now. And so she began down the stairs and lost her footing, twisted and went down the stairs, 13, 13 steps and hit the bottom floor. Um, when she did, we, you know, when that happens, and you hear your, your, your child crying. The natural instinct of a parent is to run over and scoop them up, right? And try to comfort them. And so we're we're holding her. Well, she's just screaming. We're holding her. What's the matter? What's the matter? And she's just crying. And the more we do this, the more she cries. And we find out as this wasn't helping her, we laid her down. And I said, Connie, I think something's wrong with either her leg or her hip. Well, it turns out that she had spiral broke her femur um, as she twisted and went down. It was a spiral break on there. So we we took her to the hospital and um, they x-rayed it and then they said to us, so she has this spiral break, which is an indication oftentimes of child abuse. And so we have to ask you a series of questions. 
Now, thankfully, I knew the ER doctor. Um, he was a guy that went to our church. So he said, listen, Pastor, I, I don't suspect that you are beating your children, but this type of break is often you've yanked a kid or something like that, and so we have to do these questions. So they ran us through all this stuff, and they said, now we need to have her be put out and casted, but we need to have it done at a different hospital. And so they end up shipping us down to another hospital about an hour and a half away, and they put her out and casted her from her chest to her toes on the one leg and down past her knee on the other leg. Now, put a one-year-old who's not potty trained in a cast from a chest down to the toes. And we are heading to go on vacation that day. Um, and we were going to stop. I was going to preach. She can't even fit in a car seat. The way they had to position her, she was stuck in a certain motion for the next six weeks. And the doctor said to us, after he got the cast onto her, he said, now here's the deal. Two things you don't want to happen while she's in this cast. You don't want it to get wet and you don't want her to get sand in it. We're heading to the beach that day. So we said, okay, we're the best we can. We had it all planned out. It was going to be perfect. We had been working so hard for a year and we were ready for a break. Everything was packed. Everything was ready to go. And then this. Now, I don't... I doubt you've ever had that exact situation, but there's probably situations in your life where you're thinking, man, I had it all planned out. I had the next few years mapped out. I had this planned out in my life. And all of a sudden, God changes the plans. And there's this, what I call a sovereign struggle. God, I, I want to trust you. God, I know you're sovereign, but man, it is hard because I don't see all that you see. I don't know all that you know. And I, I, want to, I want to emphasize my struggle or my will in this. And there's this challenge, this faith battle that takes place in our lives. So, so what do we do? What do we do in, those, in these different struggles? And it can, it can manifest in a variety of things. It can be a lost job. And all of a sudden, finances are short. It can be a health struggle. It can, it can be a relationship issue where all of a sudden something happens and the family dynamics are all of a sudden changed and, and, and your, your plans and your, your world that you had all mapped out changes. Or it can be a friend that you thought was, was gonna, you're gonna be a trust and you guys are gonna be great friends and all of a sudden you find out that something happened. They were moved away. So, so this could happen in a variety of ways. Well, what I want to look at is there's a variety of different Individuals we can look at for seeing the journey of faith. I think Abraham would be a great one. But I want to take us to one in, in the New Testament, which would be the Apostle Paul. And to see this one who's going to write to us about what to do in these situations. And he's, he's writing from a Roman prison cell. He's writing from being incarcerated. He's, he's chained to the Praetorian Guard. And so he understands, well, this isn't always easy. Sometimes my plans and and Paul was the kind of guy that he would go to a city and it wouldn't take him very long before he'd be either beaten or thrown in prison. And so oftentimes I imagine Paul's emphasis was when he came to a new city, let me check out the jail cells rather than the hotels, because I'm probably going to end up here. This is a guy that his plans were rough and and he's writing from a prison cell. And so he's writing with 
an impact or a, a, a credibility to say, hey, I understand. I understand the faith battle. I understand the sovereign struggle. And he says, let me speak into that. Well, let me give you some things. And so tonight what I want to do in a very just real practical measure is I'd like to actually give you seven things that Paul lays out in Philippians 4 to help us to, to do these things to help us when those things go awry. And when we're in that faith battle, that faith struggle. So let's have a word of prayer. And then I want to read a little bit of the text with you. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you that it's applicable to us. That there is so much here that, that we can take and we apply to our lives to help us as we live that out. And Lord, as we grow in our, our knowledge of you and our experience of this faith journey, help us to take from Paul tonight as he writes to this Philippian church that they had their own struggles and he writes to them with saying, hey, I understand. I understand sometimes it's difficult. And help us to find encouragement there. Help us to find some, some admonition and help. Lord, may this be a blessing to your people that are here this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. So, so how do we keep a right perspective? Well, let me give you some thoughts tonight. And the first one is, is we're going to see here. Let's, let's just read through. I'm going to read through part of the text. Let's start in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. These things are those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned Whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Well, let's lay out from that text tonight, let's lay out seven things that should help us as we walk through that faith battle. Number one that we see there in... Oh, I've got to turn this on. The first thing that we see in this text is that we are to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's interesting that that Paul speaks to this aspect of joy or rejoicing. In fact, he uses those terms 16 times by my count in the book of Philippians. And he's writing again from a Roman prison cell. And his the, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. How do, you, how do you be in a situation like that and your, your perspective is joy, rejoice? In fact, here's, here's, a little, here's a little pop quiz for you. Anybody know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? John eleven thirty five, which is, you are all wrong. That's not the shortest verse in the Bible. Any other guesses? 
Any other guesses? Now, I'll tell you, this is a trick question. Because in the English, you're correct. In the original Greek, you're incorrect. There's a shorter verse, and I want you to see it. Go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 16. It actually has two less letters in the original Greek than, or than John 11:35, but it simply says, Rejoice evermore. It's actually the shortest verse in the original languages of the Bible is to rejoice, a command. Have joy, always. Rejoice evermore. That's interesting that, that the shortest thing that he wants to give us a command of is have joy. Paul, his emphasis is he's going to emphasize here in the book of Philippians to this church that was having some of their own struggles. His first thing there is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, now think about back in Acts 16 when he came to Philippi. It was his first time coming to Macedonia and he comes to this city and he begins to preach and things are going well, but all of a sudden things turn sour and he ends up as he normally did in a Roman or in a prison cell in Philippi. If you remember in Acts 16, it says that they had beaten him with rods and they had them in the stocks or in the chained. And what were they doing? Singing. Singing and praising God as they're in having been beaten and chained in a prison cell. How did he keep that emphasis of joy? Well, I think he recognized in this battle, this journey, the Lord's in control. God's in control of all this. It's not upon me to, to manufacture or to, to try to determine my outcomes. God's in control. And in that place of, of trusting him in that faith journey, I'll say, okay, this wasn't my plan, but God, you're in control. Things don't always go the way we had planned. When my daughter broke her leg, it was kind of like, well, that wasn't the plan, but we're going to go down, we're going to preach, and she can't go in the pool, she can't go in the beach. We're going to feed her popsicles by the side of the pool as much as she wants. Um, and we're going to rejoice. It, it's, it's a command, which means it demands obedience. I'm going to choose not to get sour and grumpy. I'm going to choose not to let this steal my joy. And so he says, rejoice evermore or rejoice, Lord, always. There's our first encouragement for us. The second one is found number two there to resist. Notice verse five. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word there, the word there for moderation is a, is a word that uh, some of your your side notes in your Bibles may even say this is a word that can mean gentleness uh, is a word that actually has the idea of moderation that is free from excesses. So, in other words, we could say I'm going to resist the temptations to turn to other emotional responses or other crutches. I'm not going to turn to bitterness I'm not going to turn to a substance when things aren't going my way. Did you know that in the United States, there is over 40 million people, that's, that's over one in seven people, who are addicted to or abuse 
nicotine, alcohol, or some other drugs. Over one in seven people in the United States, that's higher than those who have lung disease, those who have heart problems, over one in seven, and they're addicted to, why? Because our tendency is, well, things aren't going well, I'm going I'm to mask it over with something else. I'm going to turn to something else. And Paul's saying, resist turning to something else to find your peace. Resist turning to, to anger. Resist turning to a substance. Resist, you know, it, it might even be resist turning to, to food and having that be your, your comfort thing. He says, I want you to let it be seen that you live in the realm of grace. That you're going to trust in the Lord always. And so having this aspect of, I'm going to trust that He's in control. Not indulging in other passions or outlets. So he says, resist those things. The third thing he's going to go on then is, it's tied right in there in verse 5, is to remember God's presence. Remember God's presence. He says, therefore, the Lord is at hand. Uh, we all know the passage in Hebrews 13:5, the promise that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love the testimony of David Livingston, uh, who, uh, as you know, was the one who was a missionary to Central Africa, to some of the deepest areas of Africa that had not had been evangelized before. And he said when asked what it was that maintained him and helped him, was the promise that when he was in the, in the commission by Christ in Matthew 28 to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. And lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. He said that promise right there, that lo, I am with you always. He says, that's what sustained me. He said, that's the promise of God. And he said, I, that carried me through even when there was, there was dangers and threats to my life. To remember, God promised He'd be with me always. And so in that, there is this, this comfort that comes. I want, you, I want you to turn over to a passage in Psalm 46 for a moment. The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't promise that when you know, when you come to Christ or you get saved, that you won't have struggles. In fact, it actually promises usually the opposite, that you'll face persecution, there'll be trials and those things. But in Psalm 46, I like the way it says it there. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Very present. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And so he says, hey, in the midst of all of this, we, we recognize that there is a refuge, there's a place of strength, and that God is that one, and He is a very present help. Notice that in verse 7. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. God is with us even in the midst of the storm when, when the earth be removed and the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. This is in the midst of things aren't going well. And he says, but there's a refuge. We've got to remember that God is with us. That's why there's a sequence. They're going to rejoice. We're going to, we're going to resist the temptations to, to turn to other things because we know God is our refuge. God is present with us 
in all of these situations. And so that's why he says the Lord is at hand. He's there. So we rejoice, we resist, we remember God's presence. And then fourthly, he goes from there and he says, we're going to relinquish anxiety. He says, be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing is an interesting statement. It literally means don't worry about anything. Don't get anxious. Be anxious for nothing is how some translations put that. Um, sometimes it, it, we see over in other passages, it, it's the same idea in Matthew 6 of take no thought. Don't worry. Why do you worry about the things that you're going to eat and how you're going to pay for these things? Take no thought for the morrow. Take no thought for how you're going to provide the clothing. Have not I, have not I clothed the, the fields and, and have not I taken care of the sparrows and the, and the birds of the air? So take no thought. Don't worry. Be anxious for nothing. So be careful for nothing. We, we just mentioned there, we looked at in Psalm 46, that illustration of that, that psalmist talking about when things are, that they're, they're going to mess. When the earth be removed and the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea and the waters thereof roar and be troubled. He's talking about, man, things around me are just raging. And he says, then God speaks in one verse, verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. I share this actually, I think, once um, at, a, at a men's prayer breakfast here in the morning um, some time ago. But that that word there for be still. It, it literally means to let go. Uh, to, to, to hand that over. God, I'm because you know what our tendency is when things aren't going well, is to grab hold and take control. Is I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have this and I gotta handle this myself. And God says, no, I want you to relinquish this. I want you to let go of this anxiety and trust me. Be still and know that I am God. I'm at hand. I'll take care of this. To let go. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. I think I told this story when I did do that breakfast, but I had a, a friend of mine, when we were growing up, we would uh, we had a, a, a ski boat that my parents had and we would get a ski boat and then fix it up and keep it for a little while and then sell it, get another one. Anyways, we'd, we would take people out and teach them to ski. I don't know if any of you water skier ever tried that, um, but it's a learning process. It's not really easy uh, to learn how to get pulled out of the water. And so we got my friend Jeff Benford in the in the water, got his jacket on, got his skis on and. And um, he's kind of a lankier guy. And we got him out there and we said, OK, put the rope between your legs and we're just to lean back and let the boat do the work. Just just press against it and keep your, your skis up and let the boat pull you up and it'll just pull you naturally by the pressure, pull you out of there. Well, it takes a few times and they fall over and get a face full of water. And, but finally, after, I don't know, probably half a dozen tries, he gets up. And, you know, again, he's this lanky guy. So he's he's, you know, flopping around like like a rag doll out there. And and we're going and going and going. I'm thinking, man, he is doing amazing because he's just keeping on going. And we're, we were out on Raystown Lake up in Pennsylvania where we were doing this. And we kept going. And Raystown Lake is miles. So I thought I said to my dad, I said, how, how long are you going to go? He said, I'll, I'll go until he's done. And so we're just going and going and 
that gets really tiring if you're trying to hang on to a boat pulling you. And finally, we crossed the wake of another boat and his, t- his, his ski tips hit the, that wake and it knocked him down. And we pulled back around and I said to Jeff, I said, man, that was incredible. I said, how, how did you hang on that long? I said, I, I thought you were doing amazing. Why did, or I, I was asking, I said, basically, why, why didn't you stop? He said, I didn't know how to stop. So you guys never told me how to stop. And I was like, man, Jeff, all you have to do is just let go. You know, it, it, it's going on its own. And you'll sink in the water and we'll come back and pick you up. And, but we never did tell them that. Well, that's the idea of the word be still. That's the same idea of relinquish anxiety. Okay, God, I'm, I'm not going to try to hold on to this myself. I can't, there's, I, I can't handle this. So, God, it's in your hands. My hands are open to you. I'm going to relinquish that anxiety. I'm going to trust that you're in control. I'm going to trust that you are at hand. And so you, you see this sequence building here. What Paul is saying, hey, when we go through these hard times, we're, we're going to rejoice. We're going to, we're going to resist bitterness. We're going to resist turn to other things. And we're going to trust, remember that the Lord is at hand. And we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to hold on to anxiety. We're going to relinquish that. We're going to let go of that anxiety and trust the Lord. And then move to number five. And he says, then we're going to request of the Lord in prayer. We're going to say, okay, God, then if I don't, if I'm not going to control this, I'm going to give it to you. And I want you to control this. That's why he says, be careful for nothing. In other words, there again, don't be anxious or anything, but rather in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. As we recognize his presence, we recognize that we can't handle this. He says, take it all to prayer. To pray without ceasing. There's where your place of peace comes in. As we start to recognize this flow of this sequence. Okay, God, I, I can't fix this, but you can. You're God, I'm not, okay? So, so I'm going to make my request by prayer and supplication. And I'm going to let my request be made known unto you. God, here's my concerns. You know, God doesn't expect you to pray some high and lofty prayer. Sometimes I think we, I've got to pray this certain, you know, eloquence to my prayer. He says, you can pray and tell me what your request is. You can pray and tell me what, what, what's burdening you and what's your concern. He's your heavenly Father. He, he wants to hear from you. You know, as a dad, I don't want my kids to think, well, I can't come and talk to dad about this. I want to be able to hear from my kids. I want them to feel free to come and talk to me. How much more so does your heavenly Father, who created you, who redeemed you, bought you, placed you in His family, and He says, hey, come talk to me. Come share your concerns. And you know what happens when we do that? The weight of us trying to hold on to that, that anxiety, that pressure. We hand it over and say, hey, God, here's what I've been concerned about. And as I reflect on who you are, I can have peace. There are so many times when I, in my life, have felt the pressures and felt the anxiety to build up. And I'll go for a walk. Uh, we live in central Pennsylvania and behind our church is a, is, a, is a mountain or a pretty big hill. And I'll go hike up there and 
just to see God's beauty and just to start talking. God, here's what I'm worried about. Here's what's on my mind. And I'm trying to control this. And as I just lay this out, as I start to talk to the Lord, it's like, oh, okay, Lord, I'm not in control of this. You are. And so we request in prayer, God, here's, here's what I'd like to see happen here. And notice the result and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, I'm going to guard your hearts and minds. I'm, I'm going to protect you from that anxiety. I'm going to protect you from, from all those worries. And I'm going to give you peace. It's interesting that all the things that Jesus as his disciples were with him in the upper room in John 14. They were worried. They are concerned he's going to get ready to, to, to go to the cross. They didn't understand all that was happening. And, and he says to them, my peace I give unto you. My peace I leave unto you. Not as the world gives, give unto, I unto you. So let not your heart be troubled. You don't have to worry because I'm going to give you my peace. That's different than a world's peace. It's a peace that passes understanding. I don't understand how I'm in the midst of this situation, God. I don't understand how in the midst of all this hardship and, and things aren't going for my plans, I have total peace. That comes from prayer. That comes from just giving it back over to Him in prayer. And the God of peace will be with you, it says in verse 9. And so we... we we rejoice, we resist, we remember God's presence, we relinquish the anxiety, we, we request in prayer. Number six, and we have to continue here quickly, is we refocus on the truth. We see that in verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He says, now that you've laid it out to me, he said, control the battle of your mind by thinking on truth. You see, Satan wants to defeat you by lies. He has always tried to defeat people by lies. He's the father of lies. And he wants to tell you that this is going to, it's all going to fall apart. It's will never fix. And there's no hope. There's no, you, you, you can't help. You can't ever get any help in this situation. And, and Paul says, you've got to win the battle of your mind by casting out the lies and focusing on the truth. Which of things are true? What do I know is true? Well, I know that God's in control. I know that God loves me. I know that, that He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know that, that He is sovereign and it's, it is not up to me to determine these things. And so, whatever things are true, just, honest, pure, lovely, of good report, think on these things. So refocus our minds. And then lastly, Paul gives a testimony. He's going to give a personal testimony of how he has handled these things. And we're going to see that the last point is to rely on him. He says then in verse 11, we'll jump down there. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned. Notice it didn't happen in his faith journey Instantly or automatically. I've learned through the faith battle, through the journey of faith. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says that in verse 13. Or actually verse 12, he continues. I know both how to be a base and how to abound 
everywhere in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He says, I understand the challenges of those times in my life when things are going great. And there's times when I don't have any food to eat. There's times when I, everything's wonderful. And there's times when, when I, am in, I, am, I am suffering need. But he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I've learned to rely on Him. I've learned to trust that He's in control. Our, our plans may not always be what God's plans are for us. Because God's plans for us is that He desires to bring us into a deep, faith relationship with him and oftentimes he allows the struggle to have that happen i was talking just this past week um, with a lady in our church Uh, it's our secretary actually now Um, her name is emily and her and her husband kevin were on the mission field for many years together and um he was he is a a builder he did construction projects as a main engineer for a, a missions agency and he had been down in, in, in Togo and had actually built a hospital there and they were pulling him off of that job. We're going to send him over to Kosovo to build a, um, a school there. And so they pulled him back to the States and they were getting ready to go over to Kosovo and they found out some of the permitting for the, for the project in Kosovo wasn't in place. And it was going to take about six months to a year to get the permitting in place. And so they decided, well, I'll just... I'll just pick up a job and, and do some of this, um, some of my engineering work while I'm here. So we picked up a job doing engineering at a pretty large construction company um, that does construction all over Pennsylvania. And in order to, um, to get their insurance at a reduced rate, they want them to go and get uh, some a physical done. And so they're in the midst of this and they're also wanted to start a family and have children. And they'd been struggling, hadn't been able to do that. So they also began to do some fertility treatments. And while they were going to get their, um, their physicals done, they discovered that uh, she had cancer. And it was, it was a pretty advanced cancer. It was going to require a, a lot of uh, difficult surgeries and, and processes. And uh, she's still taking an extremely difficult drug to this day. Um, and, and in that process, they, all the in vitros failed, uh, and they had to take these medicines that would lower her progesterone. She could never get to have children. Their, their plans were to have a family, continue in the mission field, and doing all this. And we were talking about that journey of faith, and she said, I had to learn that God's in control. And if I was going to try to hold on to my dreams, then I was going to be bitter. I had to learn that God's plans are different. His, his plans are good. And I had to trust Him in that. See, that was a faith battle for me. And I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this tonight. And, you know, the reality is, is it's different for every one of us. It might be the infertility. It might be a health issue. It might be a variety of things. God uses those in our lives to draw us closer to Him so we learn these truths. It's a journey. Paul said, I've learned. I've learned in whatever state I am. It didn't happen instantly. God allowed even the Apostle Paul to go through those struggles of, of the faith. How about you? What are you, what are you wrestling with? When, when those situations happen, I'd encourage you to go back to Philippians 4 
and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to work through this. I'm going to learn from Paul. I'm going to walk by faith. It's a journey.